Good to be in God's house tonight, isn't it? Yes. I'm glad you're here. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. And if you're new, I, I just hope you find this to be a safe place. Um, we've been in this study of end times. And uh, we've been realizing that we are in the end times. That, that our generation, the generation ours and the one after us, I b- honestly believe we are the generation that all the prophets talked about, all the others talked about, about a group of people who were going to live during end times. And we've been talking about this now for a long time. And we're working our way through the book of Revelation. And I want to remind you, two weeks ago, we finished the seven letters to the seven churches uh, that Jesus told John to write. And in that process, I revealed to you that I believe God was telling me that we're the church at Ephesus. That we're the church that has held on to doctrine. We're the church that has figured out how to, how to read the Bible, how to understand the Word, how to serve God, how to do some amazingly incredible things. But over the process, we have gradually moved away from our first love. And I called us back as a church to our first love. If you did not attend or see that sermon, please go back and watch it. I believe it's a milestone sermon for our church. And I think it's critical for all of us to evaluate where we really are. Are we doing the things we did at first? Are we going back to our first love? Or have we just become so busy doing ministry and doing life that that we stepped away from the things that we know? And we've been talking about this book of Revelation, and we've been talking about how this book is not that hard to understand, provided that you've read the 65 books that precede it. That most of what is in Revelation is a summary, and it brings up details and issues that we've dealt with before. And you're going to see, even tonight, that we're going to spend a lot of time not in the book of Revelation. We're going to be going back to Ezekiel and Daniel and to others who... who had similar experiences, and we're just going to run through those. So let me remind you that Revelation was a book that was meant to unveil, to show us who God really is, to show us who Jesus really is. There's one revelation, and the revelation is Jesus Christ. This book was written by God to us to help us see, understand, and encounter Jesus in a more authentic and real way. At the same time, this book was not meant to be cryptic. It wasn't meant to be confusing. It wasn't meant to be a puzzle to solve. It wasn't meant to be hard to understand. God wanted it to be a revelation. But there's an assumption in Revelation that the people who are reading this book have actually cared about the first 65 books. And so that's part of the assumption that's made. We learn that that this book is divided into three sections, what was, what is, and what is to come. What was, we learned in the first few chapters of Jesus revealing himself to uh, John. What is, was the seven letters to the seven churches. And now, from this point forward, in this book, we're going to be looking at what is to come. In other words, God wants us to know the future. He wants us to know what's going to happen. Revelation 1.19, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, those that are to take place after this. Now it's significant as we head into chapter 4 to recognize that from chapter 4 to chapter 19, the church is not mentioned again. 
No mention of the church from now until we get to chapter 19. We talked about that many weeks ago. I believe that's because the church has been raptured and that the elders in front of the throne represent the elders of the raptured church. So we're now moving into future events. And in chapter 4, John is going to be able or try his best to give us a glimpse of heaven. Revelation 4.1. i tell you what I want to do first. Before we get into this, I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And for the next minute or so, if you can power nap, that's all yours too. But I want you to picture in your mind the throne of God. What does that look like to you? Okay, hold that image. We'll get back to it in a bit. Revelation 4.1. After this, in other words, after I finished writing the seven letters to the seven churches, John says, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, that's the voice of Jesus, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Think about how incredible this has to be for John. He's a human on an island Patmos. He's praying in the Spirit. Jesus himself says, come up here and describe what you see. Now this is not the first time in the Bible that people have had a glimpse of heaven. It's not the first time that people have had an opportunity to hear or read or understand about things in heaven. In fact, in the book of Job, we, we get this glimpse of the throne of God. Job 1.6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Okay, now that's strange. The angels are going to the throne of God in heaven to present themselves. And Satan came with them. I wouldn't have thought that Satan would have access to heaven or to the throne of God. <laughs> Yet there he is. And he's the accuser. In fact, in the next verse, God and Satan have a conversation about Job. And you can read the entire book and understand that. So in Job, we at least have this vision here, this one glimpse into God in heaven and his throne. There's a throne in heaven. Angels present themselves to God at the throne. Satan comes as the accuser. He dialogues with God. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Paul told the Ephesians, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So we get this glimpse of a place that is not where we are. A place where a lot of activity is going on. And it has been going on since the beginning of time. A place where activity will continue to happen every day into the future. It's the throne of God. 
the epicenter of the battle of good and evil. It is God's command come. From his throne, he is ruling over the entire world as he always has, and he's doing it right now. He is on his throne in heaven. And Paul says he is directing the forces of good against the forces of evil. Notice where? In heavenly places. Heaven is a very real place with very real beings who populate it and are active there. They know very well that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle that's being waged in spiritual places by spiritual beings. Our battle is about the spiritual powers of that place. Let me explain it this way. There is a conflict in heaven between the forces of heaven and the forces of evil. And we are brought into that conflict and both suffer and eventually benefit from that conflict, whether we like it or not. Paul, at one point, gives us a glimpse into heaven. 2 Corinthians 12. I must go on boasting. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, Paul talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. In the context of 2 Corinthians, Paul is clearly referring to himself, and he says, look, I'm not going to boast about myself. But if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about a man who's seen heaven and can't talk about it. I'm going to boast about a man who 14 years ago was taken up to heaven, was shown things, and cannot speak or talk about it. Paul heard inexpressible things, God says, that man is not permitted to tell. Kind of reminds us of Daniel, when you think about Daniel. He saw the events of end times, and we'll study this in more detail as we go forward. But Daniel was given a glimpse into end times. He was given a scroll to read, and it talked about what would happen in the end times. And it made him physically sick. He could not sleep. He couldn't eat. Imagine a first century man seeing a 21st century destruction of the world. What he saw made him so ill. He saw things and heard things that were too inexpressible to tell. In fact, God commanded him, seal this up in a scroll, in a book, because these things are not yet to be known. They are for the end of times. So Daniel has seen things that, that, that he didn't want to see. He's seen issues. And, and in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So we have a scroll, a book, that has been sealed by God until the time of the end. Shortly in Revelation, we will be opening that scroll with the seven seals of God. To see what God wants us to now know. To see what had Daniel so upset, so messed up, that he was physically sick. And God is unveiling those things to us now because we are in the end times. 
Notice that Daniel and Paul had glimpses into heaven and they saw inexpressible things. Things they couldn't describe. Now in John, now John in Revelation chapter 4 is going to get a view of heaven and Jesus is going to tell him, okay, now describe this to everybody. Write down what you see. Now before we go too far, we need to understand that the book of Revelation is weird to read. Because John was trying his very best to use limited human language, limited human knowledge to explain supernatural heaven. He saw things he couldn't explain, things he couldn't understand, and yet Jesus said, write them down so people will know what you're talking about. He didn't have the words or the emotions to say what he needed to say to describe heaven. We'll see that he becomes overwhelmed trying to find the right words. At times he's even almost speechless, but he does his best. He often uses phrases like, well, it's like this. Or it reminds me of this. You see, we experience our world through our senses, our taste, our sight, our touch, our smell, our sound. This week was my 56th birthday. So I've been thinking about that day. Actually, I've been thinking about what it was like to be in the womb before that day. That's what I've been thinking about. Have you ever thought about what a weird experience that has to be? You know, like a week or two before you're born, you're fully developed, you're a conscious person, got all your five senses, you're self-aware, you can feel pain, you can hear sound. When you hear people's voices, you move, mom knows you're moving because you heard a song, whatever it is, you're aware. But inside the womb, it's dark. No sense of hot or cold because you're your mother's temperature. You can feel pressure when you push with a foot or with a hand, but it bumps into something and you don't know what it is because you can't see anything because it's pitch dark. You're floating in some kind of fluid, but you don't know what it is. You're comfortable being uncomfortable in a very limited world. It's all you know. And then catastrophe strikes. All of a sudden, the fluid that you're in, it's gone. And now these horrible things start happening. Pressure all around you. You're tight. You can't move. You're being pushed. You're being propelled forward. And then suddenly you plop out into this world. There's color. There's sound. There's people. There's talking. There's temperature. No wonder babies cry. It has to be a horrifying and shocking experience for everybody. Your life has been pretty good up until now, but all of a sudden, everything's changed. Birth is an interesting thing. This last week, I did the funeral for one of my closest friends. I've been thinking a lot about death this week, too. I suspect that death is very similar to that. In our human form, we have a very limited perspective. Our sight can only see a limited range of colors. We know, for instance, there are far more colors than the human eye can actually see. There's a broader experience than what we're experiencing right now. 
Our hearing, mine in particular, is limited. We only hear certain ranges. But you know what? There's a broader range to be heard. Dogs can hear things from miles away. It's incredible how good the hearing is of a dog. We have hearing, but it's limited in its scope. Our sense of smell is very limited. I learned this on our recent trip, walking my dog. He can smell anything. He walks out and just goes, oh, Fluffy was here. And he goes that way. And he follows around. Oh, Fluffy had meatloaf. Fluffy did this. Fluffy, and, and he goes around. He's smelling things I could never smell. There's a sense of smell that's broader than the human experience. In fact, I saw an article not too long ago where they said that dogs have been trained to sniff cancer. It's incredible. Dogs can sniff the metabolic events of cancer, and they're particularly helpful in breast cancer. And it's incredible to think that dogs have such a keen sense of smell that they can perceive those things. So it may be that you get charged for a dog scan instead of a cat scan as we go forward. But when we leave this world, it's going to be catastrophic for us. It's going to be weird for us, but we're going to plop out into a place that doesn't have any of those limits. I honestly believe that when we plop out into heaven, when we leave this earth and we're in the presence of Jesus, we're going to see colors we've never seen before. We're going to smell things we've never smelled before. We're going to have senses we didn't even know we had. Paul says it's inexpressible what happens up there. You don't have the words as a human to describe what's really going on. So what we're going to see in Revelation is John trying to describe the indescribable. He'll often say, well, it was like this, or it had the appearance of this, or it seemed to be like this. They look something like this. He uses similes. He uses metaphors. He uses imagery from other parts of the Bible, like Daniel and Ezekiel, and he applies it because he's using anything he can think of to try to share with us what he's seeing and experiencing in some way that we could get it. He's so limited by human experience and human words that it's likely that we're reading a two-dimensional black and white when he's actually seen in 3D, high-def, Dolby stereo. That's why Revelation sometimes leaves us wanting more information and a better description. That's the gap that we have to accept when John says and what John actually sees. Revelation 4.1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit. Now remember, Paul couldn't tell if he was in the Spirit or if he was there physically. John knows this is a spiritual experience that he's happening. His body is not taken to heaven. He's in a spiritual vision by God. At once I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. This throne was what caught John's attention when he first gets to heaven. It's the centerpiece of his vision. 
John is fixated on this throne. Something is occupying this throne. Everything else in the entire chapter is is described in reference to this throne. This throne's not empty. There's someone on it. One who sits on the great heavenly throne. The throne is a powerful declaration, not only of God's presence, but his sovereign, rightful reign. John sees the throne and he sees someone sitting on it. But someone's a bit hard to describe. He has the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. He's not made of those things. He emanates those colors towards me as I look at him. I don't know how to really explain what he looks like, but there's visual color coming towards me that reminds me of Carnelian and Jasper. And he says, there's this rainbow. There's this rainbow that that encircles the throne. It's it's emerald. It's got the color of green. And we know that rainbows have seven colors. Seven perfect numbers. Seven colors. But this rainbow, he says, resembles an emerald. It's greenish. It seems like a rainbow, but it encircled the throne. Maybe he's trying to describe a dome. Maybe he's trying to describe a sphere. We don't know, but what we know was from the throne, from the middle of the throne comes Jasper and Carnelian. And in addition to that, there's this emerald green that seems to encircle the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Now this he sees clearly. There are 24 thrones, 24 people, 24 people dressed in white with crowns on their head. I can see them. I can describe them to you. We will learn those are the elders. 24 elders. Then he says, from this throne, from this jasper, carnelian, emerald thing, comes flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne, there are burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it is, a sea of glass like crystal. The lightning, the thunder, the peals of thunder reminds us when God descended to Mount Sinai. The lamps of fire are important because the Holy Spirit is ordinarily not visible. To become visible, he represents himself in a physical form. And in this case, it's seven spirits of God and seven torches of fire. Picture the image that he's trying to describe to you. There's a throne with a figure on it. He can't quite make it out. Colors emanating from him. He's blurry. He's kind of shouted. There's a three-dimensional rainbow kind of dome over and around this thing. It's greenish in color. Reminds him of an emerald. 24 elders on 24 thrones. And from this throne comes flashes of lightning and light. Not maybe lightning bolts. Maybe so. But rather bright light that's flashing. All from within this emerald dome. 
And there's rumblings and there's peals of thunder. It's an incredible thing John is seeing that he's trying to describe to us. It's magnificent and terrifying all at the same time. And also in front of the throne, there resembled a sea of glass that's clear as crystal. It's not a pool. It's a sea. It's huge. It's massive. It goes on forever as far as you can see. It moves like water. It has sort of a characteristic of water to it. Yet you could see through it all the way. It's crystal clear. It has dimension and it seems like a liquid is moving and it's as clear as crystal. It's like looking through liquid air. You can see how John is stretching, trying to come up with some kind of word to describe this incredible vision that he's having. Then he continues. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. Full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third like the face of a man, and the fourth like an eagle in flight. Wow. Four creatures. We've seen these creatures before, by the way. Ezekiel talked about them. Ezekiel 1.1. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was among the exiles by the Chebar Canal. The heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness all around it, and fire flashing forth continually from it. And in the midst of fire, there was this gleaming metal. What does this sound like? He continues. It sounds like he has a description of the throne of God. John describes the color emanating from the throne like jasper and carnelian. Ezekiel says it's gleaming metal. And then he goes on. He says, and from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. He's seeing the same thing John sees. He's seeing the throne of God. These four living creatures that John sees in Revelation are the same four creatures he sees in Ezekiel. He says their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right. The four had the face of an ox on the left. The four had the face of an eagle. John is seeing these creatures straight on in a two-dimensional view. But Ezekiel is seeing them as they move. He notices that they all have four faces. John's only seeing them from one direction. He realizes that they all have that. And as they move, he realizes they have four faces. He continues, And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. And their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like brownished bronze. Under their wings, on the four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. He's trying to describe these beings, these heavenly beings. He's just trying to give us some idea of what they look like. Apparently, they have wings. They have human characteristics. It's a bizarre thing, and he's stretching trying to explain it. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings. And touched the wing of another while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. 
As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning." He continues, Now I looked at the living creatures, and I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like gleaming of beryl. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as if it were a wheel within a wheel. And when they went, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they went. And the rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them, and when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. When those rose from the earth, the wheels rose alongside them, for the Spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Wow. These are some bizarre-looking things. John is, or Ezekiel stretching, trying to explain what he's seeing. These are four living creatures coming out of what appears to be the throne of God. The same four living creatures that John is going to tell us about. Only John is only seeing them in static. Ezekiel saw them moving around. He's trying to figure out they're moving all over. They're not turning when they move, they just move. And you can see him over and over trying to put details in to explain what he's looking at. And you can imagine that, that in his vision, Ezekiel's going, whoa. Well, they got these, they're turning and they're spinning and wherever they go, it's like lightning. And, and he's just trying to describe what he's seeing. The prophet Isaiah also saw the throne in heaven. Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered on his face, two he covered his feet, and two he flew. One called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah tries to describe what he sees. The Lord sitting on the throne, high, his robe fills the temple. Above him are these creatures, these seraphims with wings. And they're calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And the foundation is shaking under the sound of the voice. And the whole house, the whole place is filled with mist or smoke. I believe they're all seeing the same thing. Back to Revelation and John. Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each of them had six wings with eyes all around them. And day and night, they never cease. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. From the comparisons of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Revelation, we understand these creatures to be cherubim. These spectacular angelic beings that surround the throne of God. According to Ezekiel 28, Satan was one of those kind of beings before his fall. 
Now in Hebrew, the double repetition of a word adds emphasis. It is very rare in Hebrew to repeat a word three times. To repeat something three times brings attention to God and it brings this superlative that this is really, really, really true. So when these angels are crying out, holy, 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 three times means, no, this isn't just holy, this is the real deal. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter denied him. When things are repeated three times, they carry an emphasis and a power in Hebrew that no other scriptures carry. Wow, Can you? what a picture. The throne of God being revealed to us. Revelation 5.1 Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So John looks at this, this figure that's on the throne, and he sees in his right hand there is a scroll. There's, it's got seven seals on it. It's in his right hand. Well, what scroll could this be? Well, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been seen since the nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Daniel says, I heard, but I didn't understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. God says, Look, Daniel, I've given you all the information you can handle. I'm going to roll this scroll up. I'm going to seal it seven times. And we're not going to open this scroll or reveal the end until it's time to reveal the end. And then he closes with Daniel. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Daniel's scroll that he read, the, the writing on both sides that made him faint and made him sick was sealed by God. And now John sees that scroll in the hand of God on the throne. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break his seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. To look upon the scroll, someone had to have the right to open the scroll and possess it. And no creature was found worthy to do that. There's no answer to the angel's challenge because creation is utterly incapable of deciding and affecting its own destiny. 
In other words, no created being could open this scroll. No one was worthy because we can't save ourselves. Someone above the order of created beings who determines the course of history. Only God can unfold this plan. And one of the elders said, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. You see, because of the announcement of the angel, I think John was expecting to see a lion. And instead he looks and he sees a lamb. You see, a lamb is presented in both a way that is sympathetic and powerful. He's living, but he still has the mark of the sacrifice on him. It's hard to describe what John actually saw. But this lamb clearly had the mark of a lamb that had been sacrificed. The idea brings with it that the sacrifice of Jesus, the wounds of his sacrifice, are constantly and every moment in front of Father God. They never go away. On the throne in heaven, the sacrifice of Christ is evident as if it just happened. There's nothing stale or outworn about what Jesus did, either at the time he did it or thousands of years later. At the throne, it's still just as evident as it ever has been. And even though the marks of his sacrifice are evident, the lamb is not presented as an object of pity. He, he has seven horns. That's a sign of complete omnipotence, a complete power, seven horns. He has seven eyes, the sign of complete omniscience. What a figure. A slain lamb who has both all-knowing and all-seeing power. The image that John has been seeing on the throne, the one that he can't quite make out, is like carnelian and jasper. Ezekiel said it looked like shining metal. It seems to be morphing in some way. And now it seems to represent a lamb, a slain lamb. Not really a clear image of a lamb, but it looks like a slain lamb has now taken the scroll. And within that lamb, within that structure, there's seven spirits of God. What John is trying to describe to us is the Trinity of God. This essence that is all at the same time. God the Father, the Carnelian, the Jasper, the Vision, a slain lamb and the seven spirits. And he's looking at it trying to figure it out because it looks like they're all happening together at the same time. Not sequenced one after the other, but all equally present, equally individual and yet still one. Don't miss how incredible this is or how crazy it is for John to try to put it in words. 
John is seeing the throne of God and simultaneously seeing the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and they're all one and yet they're all distinct and they're all independent and yet they're all together at all times as one at the throne of God. And the fullness of the Spirit, the number seven, the seven spirits that have been sent out to all the earth is there as well, completing the Trinity. Remember that risen Christ said, I will send you a helper. I will send you my spirit. The seven spirits, the complete Holy Spirit that has been sent to the world is also at the throne of God because God is all three at once. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This throne, God in the Trinity, 24 elders, four living creatures. And now we see the prayers of the saints filling up the bowls as incense. And each elder is holding an instrument that looks like a harp. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. These elders are singing a song that John has never heard before. Sing a new song to him who sits on the throne. We sing about this all the time. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. We sing this song all the time. The emphasis on this song is about the redemption that Jesus brought forth. It talks about the price of redemption. You were slain. The work of redemption. You have redeemed us. The destination of redemption. You have redeemed us to God. The payment of redemption by your blood. The scope of redemption. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. The length of redemption. You made us kings and priests to our God forever. And the song honors the result of redemption. And we shall reign on earth. He continues. Then I looked and I heard around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders. The voice of many angels. Numbering myriads of myriads. And thousands of thousands. It's as if John is seeing an endless stadium or a theater and it's full of angels from as far as you can see. A number so great you can't even count them. And they're all saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Imagine what John is seeing. Because we're going to see it too. Wow. And it gets even better. Verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessings and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. 
every created thing, worshiping Jesus, the Lamb who is worthy. Every little worm in the dirt, every little fish in the sea, everybody worshiping the God who created them and who is worthy to open these seals. Singing praises to the Lamb. John is using every form of language that he can think of to try to explain to us what in the heck he's seeing and what's going on. And I don't think his words come even close to doing it justice, but they're pretty darn good. And they make you start thinking about things. For instance, I started thinking about, you know, I've always pictured heaven as this place that was quiet. Do you, you picture this? Kind of quiet, peaceful, like a meadow, walking through the meadow, zippity-doo-dah, all that stuff. It's peaceful, it's calm. We tend to think of it that way. Yet in John's vision, there's an enormous amount of noise up there. Living creatures that never stop. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. And they sing this day and night and they never stop. And the 24 elders are singing and countless angels are praising and singing the praises of God. And all living creatures are doing the same thing. I don't think it's quiet up there all the time. It's incredible, right? Here's what's really incredible, too. It's happening right now. You see, we tend to think this is something that's going to happen when we're in heaven. We'll see it, but it's going on right now. Right now, in heaven, God is on his throne. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The 24 elders, they're coming, but everything's there, and we're seeing bolts of lightning and flashes. And he is just as sovereign in this exact moment as he will be in the future. Right now, he is over the world. Nothing's happening. He is on his throne. He's in total control. He knows everything, and he is receiving the worship that only he deserves. This book is called Revelation because God wanted to make sure that we see clearly who he really is and what he's really doing. John has to spend many chapters trying to explain the unexplainable, trying to help us see what he's seeing, the vision that he's seeing. It would be like that baby coming out for like two seconds, going back in, and then having to describe what they just saw. <laughs> he's trying his best to reveal to us what he's seeing. And God is guiding his words. And he says we'll be blessed if we study and read them. Next week, we're going to open the scrolls. We're going to look at the seven seals. We're going to look and see what Daniel found so frightening. And we're going to see what is to come. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to pray for us, and then when I'm done, I want you to go back, close your eyes, and picture the throne of God again. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word is so incredible. I thank you that John tried his best to get us to see what he was seeing can't imagine what we're going to experience when we're in heaven. 
I can't imagine the new senses that we'll pick up, the, the broad scope of what we'll see and hear, the, the experiences that you have for us. But right now, God, we're, we're just in this limited human form. And God, we're in a fallen world. The more we think about heaven, the more we think about you, the more we long to go home. But you have work for us to do here. So God, as we continue to go through Revelation, would you continue to reveal yourself to us? Because the more we see you right now on your throne, the way you really are, the more we go back to our first love. So God, over the next few moments, would you through your spirit just allow people to think about what your throne is really like, what your power is really like, what your essence is really like, so that we can understand better why we surrender to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.